so we're going to be reading Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for, for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came up from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn upon and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven you are my son whom i love with you i am well pleased at once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by satan he was with the wild animals and angels attended him after john was put in prison jesus went into galilee proclaiming the good news of god the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Well, as we get started, um, if you'd like to uh, follow on the outline in the booklets, uh, it's on page six. And if you need a booklet, there's a, there's a few on the back table there uh, with Bibles, um, if you'd like to follow on if you haven't grabbed one already. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, who likes a good biography? Yeah? yeah, yeah, you like biographies? Why do we like biographies? Someone put up your hand, why do you like biographies? What is it about them that you like? Ruth? Yeah, what do they go through to make someone who they were? What makes them, uh, what makes them tick? You get to know someone, you get to know someone by reading about their life and their journey and their experiences, and it's usually someone uh, interesting. Well, there's quite a lot of biographies that aren't about people that are interesting, but usually the ones we like to pick up are people that are interesting, and we like to get to know uh, who they are. Any good biography, though, I reckon has to start well, because if you open it up and it just says, this person was born on this day and they lived a pretty quiet life, and now I'm going to tell you about this quiet life. That's not that interesting. We might not read that biography. See, two of my favorite biographies I've got down here. Um, Australia's greatest captain in the living memory, Steve Waugh. His biography, Peter Fitzsimons, starts it off with... It's a beautiful book, this one. The pictures are fantastic. Here we go. Actually, I'm going to read the quotes better. He's a walking contradiction, partly truth and partly fiction. That's a quote from Chris Christoph 
Christofferson to point out that Steve Waugh is an enigma. We love to get to know him, but we don't really know him at all and what he's like. And his place in Australian history is fascinating. On a bit more serious note, one of the first um, Christian books I read was a biography of one of the greats in Christendom, Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher in um, London. And this book um, just fascinated me from cover to cover, and it's the short version. This is what uh, it starts off with. Spurgeon says, I would rather be descended from one who suffered for the faith faith and bear the blood of all the emperors in my veins. That's a good start, isn't it? Because he did have some kind of line of heritage. What's this guy all about? Fascinating story. If you ever want to borrow this one, it's a great read. Now, a bio needs to start and be interesting like those ones. We like reading them. What we've got before us is a biography of Jesus' life. See, the biography of Mark, as we read it, keeps pushing us to ask two questions. The questions of the theme of our series. Who is Jesus and is he worth following? They're good questions. They make you think, well, if Jesus is claiming to be this big guy who we just saw in that video clip, I, I want to know a little bit more about him and do I play a part in this? That's what Mark's biography is about. It's a worthwhile read because of it. And it has a brilliant start. It starts by saying Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the one who does great things. It starts with his bang in verse 1, which we'll look at in a moment. It goes on to talk about prophecies and then goes on to talk about all the things that he's going, uh, that, that, what, he, what he goes to do in his preaching ministry. And so that's what we're going to do in this series. We are going to discover this biography of Jesus' life to consider who he is. Wherever you're at with him, this series, my prayer, will help you understand him better. Whether that's one who is part of his family in relationship with him, wanting to live for him and and, uh, grow in your relationship with him, to someone who's wrestling with I don't get him. I'd love to wrestle with, is he someone I need to engage with in life? And so as we start out, I reckon we need to see Mark's account, because there's four biographies, if you want to know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark's account is like this picture on the screen. It's like the first policeman at the crime scene writing their report. It's the quick, I've got to get everything down report. Um, I, mentioned to you, I mentioned to you the other week that a great book on the reliability of the Bible is um, by uh, Warner Wallace. He was a homicide detective and this was his idea that he, that he brought up. He said that Mark's account, unlike the others, is like the first policeman on the crime scene. He said, it'll come up on the screen there, Mark's gospel bears a striking resemblance to a crime broadcast. When first responding officers arrive at the scene of a crime, they quickly gather the details related to the crime and the description of the suspect, then clear the air with the radio dispatches so they can broadcast these details to other officers who may be in the area. Mark's wanting this, this urgency of a need to get out all the details of what's happened quickly. 
And so what we read on to see is although Mark's gospel contains the important details of Jesus' life and ministry, it is brief and it's the shortest gospel. Less ordered than the other gospels and filled with action and verbs and adjectives. It keeps moving. It's really fast paced. There is a sense of urgency about it. This is what we might expect if it was in fact an early account of Jesus' ministry written with a sense of urgency. You see, this account is in contrast in the way it's put together to say Matthew and Luke. See, on the the next one, both Matthew and Luke appear to be writing with a much different intent than Mark. Their accounts are more robust and ordered. While Mark seems to be providing us with the initial crime broadcast, Matthew and Luke are more concerned about the final report. So the policeman comes onto the scene and he goes, I've got to get all these details down because the detectives are going to come along and they need to figure out what's happened and so I need to give them all the truthful information. And so put it all down and then the detectives come through and they gather it all together and put together the final detailed report. And so we read in Luke, Luke says to Theophilus, I've given you a detailed report of everything that has happened in a structured way so that you will believe. And so I think that's how Mark's gospel, I think that's a really helpful way to see Mark's gospel, is that there's this on-the-scene, urgent message that comes out. And so I want us to investigate it from four points that you can see on your um, outline. And the first one is is that there's an urgency to the news. And it just jumps straight into it. Look at verse 1. If you've got it in your Bibles or on the screen there, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. <laughs> no messing around, right? There's no uh, Christmas narrative. There's no, there's a baby coming, he's going to be born, and then all that happening, it's bang. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, Saviour, the Messiah, that one we saw in that, talking about in that video. This is someone they've been waiting for. He's here and he's the Son of God. That sets the tone for the urgency of the account. And that's how Mark's gospel uh, works. Everything happens kind of quickly. Um, in, in this uh, gospel, 42 times, there's a little word, immediately. Um, there's one little Greek word, immediately, it's often uh, translated as. And in um, our translation, sometimes it's lost because it's said in different ways. But it's all throughout. It's like, this happened, then immediately this happened, then immediately this happened, to say, this is what was really important, how things were going on. And so in Mark chapter 1, um, it happens 11 times. And in our passage today, it happens in verse 10, where it says, just as Jesus was coming out of the water, immediately as he was coming out of the water, the Spirit comes upon him. And then immediately the Spirit sends him into the wilderness. And then immediately it goes on as he keeps on going and doing things. It's an action, fast-paced story about what's happening. And the message that we'll get to at the end, that Jack brought up with the kids, verse 15, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. That message highlights the urgency. The time has come, the kingdom of God is near. We've got to get it out there. Has anyone ever told you uh, the old cliche, you're going at that like a bull at a gate? Have you heard that cliche or is it just the fact that my dad kept on telling me that all the time because I used to do things like a bull at a gate and not do them properly um, and <laughs> how to just get them all wrong because I just wanted to do it, get it done, go fast and get it, get it happening. Something really important is happening 
but not with destruction like a bull running through a gate. Something really fast is happening because here we have the Messiah actually coming. It's a great start. It's a really great picture of what's going on. So as this urgency is kind of highlighted in the beginning of chapter 1, it's no surprise that in chapter 1, Jesus kind of bursts onto the scene. See, in a few short paragraphs, Jesus is baptized, he's anointed by the Spirit, he's endorsed by the Father with affection, he's tempted by Satan, and he starts his um, ministry of preaching. That's all pretty quick. <laughs> That's quite a lot of stuff going on. No wonder um, one of my commentators I was reading said, uh, this gospel is the gospel on steroids. It's all happening. It's all going fast-paced. Jesus bursts onto the scene with his baptism. Let's have a look at it. Verse 9 to 12 is on the screen there. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. See, what a picture. See, he comes and, and what we see is as he comes, he gets baptized. He's doing what everyone else has been coming to do. See, what's happening is they're, they're coming to be baptized by John and now Jesus is coming and saying, oh, I'm going to be baptized as well. And as he's baptized, he's identifying uh, with them that they're in their sin. That's why they're being baptized, acknowledging their repentance. And he's also, at the same time, his father identifies with him and his ministry. And so does the Spirit. He identifies with the people who have sin that needs to be dealt with and the Father identifies with him that he is the one who's going to do the ministry. See, what's happening here is the Father. See those words? They're extraordinary. Oh, this is one of those, there's lots of moments in Jesus' story that you'd love to watch and see and be there for. This is one of my favorites, just to see, knowing what the significance of it was. The Father saying, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is an affectionate endorsement of his ministry by his Father. They are in perfect harmony and relationship as the Spirit is there with them, that all the ministry happens through the Spirit as he's being anointed by him. See, what's happening here is like the end of any political ad. You know what happens, what happens at the end of a political ad? Pardon? Yeah. This is so-and-so by so-and-so, the Liberal Party. And it said really, really fast in really little writing. And it's almost like they're embarrassed to say that they're endorsing it. This is the opposite. This is the same endorsement, but in the Lord of all, God himself, the Father saying, I am pleased with you. I endorse this message. Spectacular. And no father has, no sooner has his father uttered uh, these uh, special words of affection and endorsement 
and he's sent out into the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan. And it's just quick. See, this is a, another example of the urgency. We're not going to get bogged down in a few more sentences about what happened there, as in the other Gospels. It's just that he was tempted by Satan to say that he, he knows what it is to have to deal with the temptation of sin. Then he moves on. You see, with such a furious and urgent bursting onto the scene, what is actually needed is preparation for his arrival. As uh, we had uh, the Lord's Supper for the first time today and we prepared by thinking about what it actually is and then actually acknowledging our sin, here, before the Messiah comes, the way this gospel starts is to acknowledge that. And not even just to acknowledge that, but to place it in its long context. And we have... And we have the prophecies of past being mentioned. We won't go into them for detail, although there are sermon in themselves in verses 2 to 3. But in verses 2 to 3, we see, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And then comes John. You see, what happens is we have a picture here we have a picture of the one who's burst onto the scene being the one who um, has been promised. And so there was someone who was going to prepare the way for him, a messenger who was going to come. This is not just something that should be a total surprise and a totally new thing. It was prophesied about in Isaiah, in Malachi. And we see that John arrives to prepare everyone. And it's really interesting, isn't it, what he does? Verse 4, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. See, what happens here, it's, it's actually really kind of strange. There's a strange sermon, baptism for the repentance of sins, and he goes on to talk about the message uh, a bit later on to say that one's coming who's greater than him and he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. This is a strange sermon with a strange response in verse 5 by the people. And this one who's giving the message has a strange appearance. Clothing made of camel hair and leather belt around his waist and locusts and wild honey. That would be a kid's spot to get the locusts and wild honey out. It's a bit odd. See, What's even more significant about it, though, I don't know if you're aware that baptism was not for God's people. If you were going to be part of Israel, there was a baptism for those who weren't the Jews. This full baptism that they will have is for the non-Jews. Now, John the Baptist appears in the wilderness, which has all its significance of God's people being sent out into the wilderness, and he appears and he says, you know what? You Jews need to be baptized. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Essentially, this strange message is saying, you people of God are not the people of God, really. That's pretty intense because you have sin that needs to be dealt with. That's why it's repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And it's a strange response because what do the Jews do? Verse 5, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem confess their sins, acknowledging that they've got a problem and were baptized by John. 
a fascinating, fascinating picture. It was a strange appearance because the weirdest thing about him is that to wear something like that was just a point in the back. So there was a, there was a guy in the Old Testament, the great prophet Elijah, who now we see John the Baptist is coming in line off prophecy again being fulfilled. There's more to be said there, but as we see Jesus burst onto the scene, preparation requires knowing that he is the Messiah that he's been prophesied about and that if you're going to come to him and acknowledge who he is, you recognize that you've got a problem. No one can escape it, even those who were God's people. Jesus bursts onto the scene and he bursts onto the scene with ultimate good news. Look at verse uh, 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. See, the good news, this gospel, it means a declaration. So gospel equals good news. And this type of good news is the direct declaration of something great of a king happening. So when Caesar, when, when a Roman emperor was born, we will proclaim the gospel of the emperor being born. And now we're saying this is the good news. This is God's good news. And it's now the kingdom of God has come near. The time has come. And as we consider what this time is about, it means who is Jesus? Is the Messiah? Is it worth following him? Yes, because I have to repent and believe. Verse 15, repent and believe the good news. It's a big, big claim. The ultimate kingdom has come. But hang on a minute. Isn't this kingdom supposed to come with power, as we saw in that video? He's saying repent and believe, but what about all the triumph? The agenda's been set, but it seems to be a little bit different. I don't know if you've ever been to a meeting. If you've gone into a meeting and you think this is what's going to happen in this meeting, you know the agenda, and you walk in and the person running the meeting has a totally different agenda and has turned it on its head and you've got no idea what's just happened and now you've got all this work you've got to do and, and or you've just been slighted. Or Has that ever happened to you in a meeting? It's just me. No, no, yeah, it happens all the time, doesn't it? The agenda changes. The agenda for what they think the Messiah is going to do and what he actually does is different and it requires a turning to God. If you want to get your head around the word repentance, just see that it's a turning, turning from being away from God to him, to acknowledging your sin. And if you're going to repent, if you're going to do that, you trust in him. That's why belief is so significant. You believe in God's gospel. See, the the beginning of this biography sets out so much spectacular uh, detail and structure into what Jesus is on about. But I kind of feel like there are so many unanswered questions. You see, okay, well, God's doing something. 
Um, it's a bit different with planned, uh, than planned with a Messiah coming. But how is God's kingdom going to come exactly? How does it work? How is Jesus going to bring it in? We keep on hearing this good news, but what is it? If we're going to nail down on it, what is it? These are the questions that haven't been detailed as yet. Now, I'm renewing a friendship with someone because he's done such a great job. J.J. Abrams. He was some, do you know who J.J. Abrams is? He's made lots of movies. He did Star Wars. That's why we're friends again. But man, we had a massive falling out with Lost. Did you get sucked into that TV show? Did you ever see Lost? It was ridiculous. You watch an episode and you think, okay, I have one question going in. Now I've got 30. And you watch the next episode, none of those questions get answered. And then there's a whole bunch of other questions. And you're left watching this TV show and you got sucked in feeling like you've got to watch it. I went for like seven seasons and you watch the end and you think that was a rubbish ending. And now I'm so frustrated. We had a falling out. It was painful. If I only knew beforehand what was going on. See, this biography doesn't leave us with unanswered questions that frustrate us, that get us annoyed. This biography leaves us with crucial answers to the main plot. We heard it in that video. The coming of the kingdom is totally different to what they were expecting because of chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Everything hinges upon the spectacular, the overwhelmingly different, the extraordinary change in what was about uh, to bring in a kingdom to the rest of all the kingdoms that have come and gone. That Jesus is going to serve not dominate. And his service takes him to suffer and die on a cross in his people's place. That is what we're remembering at communion. That Jesus, his body, was in our place. If you want to follow Jesus, you love those words. And you realize that he became a ransom for many is to say that he has paid your problem. He's paid for it through his death. Believing in that, you can have confidence that you're a follower in Jesus. And so as we embark on this journey through Mark, wrestle with that. Seek to understand it more. Ask yourself the question, can I truly believe that Jesus gave his life for me? Is there any reason to think that's the case? Because we are kind of left, kind of teased a little bit to think that there are many more questions for us to unravel over the coming weeks. And we do that from the perspective of following Jesus because he gave his life for us. And I think Mark chapter 1 for us all today points us to the priority of repentance and belief. All the preparation was about coming to get ready for the Messiah. Live a life that embraces repentance. That's what I want to challenge you with today. 
That is, not live a life where I need to do good to get right with God, because that's nonsense. Live a life that embraces God has done everything for me, so I turn to Him and want to live for Him in response to Him as my Lord. Live with the priority of belief. Who is Jesus is a vital question for your life and should never be moved on from. We don't believe in a God, we believe in the God. What we're confronted with in Mark's gospel is that Jesus is God, which we haven't gone into today, but we see over and over and over again. And what we're confronted with in Mark's gospel is that Jesus is sent by his Father to save us. He is the promised one. He is the one who is the king. Do we believe in that? Do we trust in him? I want to encourage you today to get to know who you trust because he never lets you down. You see, how we started at Trinity Grove mattered to us. And I think it's been fantastic. What are we up to? Five weeks? Six weeks? It's been, I've really enjoyed starting with you, getting to know new people, and it's just been a brilliant time. I hope that's been your experience because I think starting matters. It has a big impact. We want to set an agenda for the type of church that will be, that everyone's welcome and we'll share life together and it'll get messy at times and things will fall apart at times in organization, but we'll just get on with sharing life together and following Jesus. Our good start is only good if we keep coming back to the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. Any good biography we embrace cannot start any better than chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. Father, we do pray that you will help us to discover him more and more over the coming weeks, that we'll get to know him, what he's like, what he's done for us, and what it means. Help us to have a priority of repentance in our life because of what you've done. Help us to trust in Jesus all our days. We thank you that he's a ransom for our sin. We thank you that he is the suffering servant. Amen.